But let's come to God's word this morning, and we're going to be reading this morning from the book of Daniel, and reading Daniel chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, put the treasures in the house of his God. Then he ordered Ashvanez, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had, show, had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he not see you looking worse than all the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were given the vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his old kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word of Daniel, we pray that we would learn of you and your faithfulness 
We pray that you would teach us how to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and God let him win. Not just that, he went into the sacred temple of God and took some of the sacred items that Moses had made, carried them off and put them in some pagan shrine in Babylon. It would have been completely bewildering for every Jewish person who believed and trusted in the name of God. Why did God let that happen? But for Daniel, it was personal. He was a young man from Judah, possibly from Jerusalem. He had his whole future ahead of him. The plans, the dreams, how he was going to serve God in, in God's kingdom, in God's land, and all the things that he was going to do. And then he finds himself in Babylon. Why did God let that happen? The famous philosopher, Mike Tyson, yeah, once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Can you relate to that? You've got a dream, you've got a way that you want life to work out, maybe just for this week or maybe for your whole life, and then something happens that wasn't supposed to happen. And you find yourself in a different place, in a different situation, trying to work out, well, what do I do now? Confused. Disappointed. Settling for second best, for the thing that wasn't the dream or the desire. Finding ourselves in places that we were never sure we ever wanted to be. where the aspirations and the dreams that we had before have suddenly all turned to dust. Are you with me? I'm not going to fill in the blanks too much because I, I, I want you to think about your own experiences. Maybe quite recently, maybe through <laughs> the last 18 months, dare I say it, the holiday plan. Or maybe as you look back on your life and you think where you were as a young Christian and where you thought God would want you to be and how you thought he'd want you to serve him. And then it happens, doesn't it? Smack in the face and there we are. Verses 1 to 3 of this chapter, oh, I've got it twice there, um, really set it out. Nebuchadnezzar comes up and the expectation is that God would deliver Nebuchadnezzar into the hands of the king of Judah, not the other way around. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. And, and there's a whole lot of the Bible that actually is wrestling with that one thing, with that one idea that something that shouldn't happen, instinctively wasn't right, happened. The prophets struggle with whose fault is it and that it's the people's fault to some degree. 
Lamentations just sits in the dust with Jeremiah, crying about everything that's been lost, and there's a place for that. Isaiah begins to say, well, what is the future like? And has these dreams of the God that will restore and will repay and will compensate for all that's been lost. But Daniel has a different question. He's just asking, okay, what do I do now? You know what that is as well? There's a place for asking big questions about why is things the way they are? Why is it broken? Why COVID? Why is a church not strong? Why is the nation the way it is? Why is there suffering and injustice? Why did this happen to me? But there's also a place where we simply have to work out how do I live in the place that I've ended up, in the state that I've ended up, with the disability that I've ended up with, with the problems that are in my family life, with whatever it is. Jeff Lucas has just written a book on Daniel and he says this, because life is what happens when you're expecting something else. Can you relate to that? You know, you're expecting, you're planning for something, and then actually, where you find yourself is somewhere different. And that is Daniel in spades. He's planning for this life in Judah, serving God, temple there, king there, kingdom there, land there, tribes there, the whole works of the Bible, and suddenly he finds himself in the middle of Babylon. How do we sing the Lord's song? There's a different part of the Bible in this strange land. How do we do it? Well, in one sense, it, it was fairly easy because the place that they found themselves had a whole new set of opportunities. No, there was no temple. No, there was no Israel synagogue and all the things that they expected, but oh, Babylon, it was a great place. It's like suddenly finding yourself in the middle of San Francisco or London or New York if you came from a little croft in the highlands. The opportunities. This is the most technologically advanced civilization that there's been till now. This is a place of great power. This is a place that needs new leaders. It needs people to run the army and the administration and everything else. The opportunities are everywhere. And here's Daniel, a young nobleman from Judah, suddenly finds himself fast-tracked into the civil service, right through the entry exam, and he's been sent to the University of Babylon that he might learn everything that's there. Daniel, in one sense, is going to take full advantage of that. And he's going to end up as one of the king's top advisors. And in one sense, he's doing exactly what the prophet Jeremiah told the people to do. Because as the people asked, well, how do we live in Babylon? Jeremiah had written them a letter. We find this back in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 20, 29. And here is what Jeremiah writes. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city that I've carried you into exile. Pray for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. Now, what Jeremiah is saying to the people is you're going to stay in Babylon for a while. I know you don't want to be there, but that's where God has put you. And what God wants you to do is to carry out his 
plan for you in these circumstances you didn't expect. When he called the Jewish people right back in Genesis, he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a huge big nation with lots of descendants. And here's the thing, I'm going to bless you, but through you, the whole of creation, the whole of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And of course, we know principally that comes through the line of Abraham, through the Jewish people, comes the Messiah, who is the deliverer of all people. But it also meant that the Jewish people were supposed to live out God's plan, to show the world in a light in the darkness, to show what it meant to love God and walk with him and have justice and care for the poor and all these other things. And what Jeremiah is saying is, you're in Babylon now, live it out. Don't try to run away from it. Don't try to cut yourself off from it. Live out your lives in that new place, the place you didn't want to be, the situation that you didn't want to find yourselves in, live it out there and bless and pray for that pagan city around you. Because as you do that, you will prosper and you will grow, but also you will bless the place that you find yourself. Now there's a message for us wherever we find ourselves. Yeah, there's a time for saying, why has God let this happen? There's a time for the crying over what we've lost. But there's also a time for saying, how do we simply live out being faithful to God? You know, I came into ministry thinking we'd build up the strong churches and all the rest of it 25 years ago. Here we are. Church isn't strong. What do we do? Do we lament the days of Christendom gone past? Or do we say, here we are. Here's where God has put us. What does it mean? to pray for and bless a post-Christian Scotland? What does it mean to serve God and be faithful in that situation? Of course, there's a danger, and we see this in the book of Daniel very clearly. See, here's what it says as the king recruits these young men into his civil service. Among those who were chosen were men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, here is what's happening here. This is a deliberate Babylonian policy. And a deliberate Babylonian policy is cultural acclimatization. What you're going to do is take young men who would have been leading Jewish men, leading the nation of Judah, and you're going to make them into good Babylonians. Not only are you going to teach them all the language and literature of Babylon, and that's one thing, you're going to rub out their old identities so that they might remember they're from Judah, but that's not what's going to be important to them, and that's why they're given new names to rub all those things out. It's difficult to notice these names, but Daniel means God is the judge. El is the word for God. And he's given the name Belteshazzar, which has got to do with Bel, who's one of the Babylonian gods. And we can go through this. Hananiah Hananiah means um, the, the word Yah is at the end of that, which refers to Yahweh. And the name actually means the Lord God is gracious. And he's given a name Shadrach, which has to do with the sun god. Mishael means who is God? Who is the Lord? And he's given a gay name that's to do with the moon god. And Azariah means the Lord helps. And he's given a name that actually means the son of the Babylonian god Nebo. You see what's happened? 
They're being given names that no longer relate to the Lord their God, but relate to the Babylonian pagan culture that they're in. They are to become Babylonians. They are to have their identity wiped out. And you see, that's what our culture will do to us as well, isn't it? Yeah, we can learn things. Yes, it has all these things on offer, but there's a cost. And the cost is actually, it, it wants to pretty much rub out our Christian identity. Yeah, you can go to church on Sunday, that's fine. But as you live your life, don't bring that religion thing into it. Don't think of yourself as a Christian. Just think of yourself as a worker. Just think of yourself as a citizen. Just think of yourself as like everybody else. And then there's bits of the Bible that just blow me away. Because verse 8 says this. But Daniel resolved not. Now the first thing to notice here is it doesn't say, and Belteshazzar thought which is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. But Daniel. Now those two words change everything because here is a young man who says, I know who I am and I belong to the Lord. I know who I am and I know who has called me. But Daniel. Our identity is in the Lord. Daniel will find that Babylon is a mixed bag. Yeah, there will be a great dictator there. Yes, there will be lions and there will be a fiery furnace and there will be all sorts of things that aren't right. There will be, but there also will be good things. There will be free education and an opportunity to make a difference, an opportunity to be involved in, in things that change society and bless people and, and share the truth of what God is saying. But what Daniel is saying here at the beginning is, I will not be defined by the situation I find myself in. I will take advantage of it. I will not be defined by the culture and what it says and what its values are as much as I will relate to it. I will not be defined by the place that I am put, but I will remember where I am from, and more importantly, I will remember who I am from. I'm from the Lord God who made me and shaped me and called me. You know, in today's society, as you live, wherever you found yourself, the most important thing you can say to your soul is this. I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus. Can you just think just now of the places that you're going to be this week? In a school, with some friends, in a hospital, wherever you're going to be, and can you say with me, I belong to Jesus? Let's do that, shall we? I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus, and that is what defines me. I serve Jesus Christ. I am a servant of the living God. And suddenly, that begins to change how we look at it. Most of Christian ethics is not about working out what's right. Most of the time, it's about working out who we are and whose we are. Daniel does some practical things. First of all, he bands together. You know, you can't take Daniel without taking the other three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the Babylonian names, unfortunately, but I can always remember it because it was, I was taught as I, as I came through, it was shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed we go. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Huh? But the point of that is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that Daniel had fellowship and as he was going to live out his Christian life or his, his life for God, he was going to remember in the midst of it he needed fellowship. It's one of the reasons it's really, really important that the center of who we are is our gathering. It's our being together. Not that we retreat from the world, but that we can go into the places that we are going into being aware of who we are. You know, Sometimes you'll struggle. What does it mean to be a Christian in parenting? What does it mean to be a Christian in the club I'm in? What does it mean to be a Christian when this is happening in my life? What does it mean to be a Christian when there's the ethics of the office? How do I behave? And sometimes you come and you hope a sermon will help you, but I'll tell you the most important place that will help you, talking over with other Christians. It's one of the reasons that I am desperate in the coming days we get coffee back after church. Not just because I love coffee, It's because so often I've looked out on a Sunday and what I've seen is this, that the pastoral care and the building up the body of Christ is happening at least as much in the conversations together as it's happening from the guy at the front of the church on a Sunday. Because if you're a parent trying to work out what it means to parent your, your children as Christians and cope with the fact they don't want to go to church and cope with all those things, the best people to help you are other parents. And if you're in a workplace trying to work out how you live as a Christian when all this is going on or when you're being asked to do this by the boss or you're being bullied or whatever else it is, coming to the pastor that's never worked a day in a workplace in his life is the wrong place. Coming to another wise Christian friend and saying, can you listen to me? Can we talk it through? Can I share wisdom with you? Can we pray together? Is exactly where you need to be. Shadrach, Meshad, and the Ged to go matter. And then there's more than that. Because those words, sorry, I've gone too far here. Those words, and Daniel resolved not, also said this. Daniel was going to get involved in the education system of this land. He was going to take it for all it was. He was going to serve the king. He was going to do exactly what Jeremiah said. Settle down, set roots, bless this economy and this city. Be involved in it, and God will bless you, and God will bless it. But Daniel resolved not. Now, what he did was he said he was going to take all the education, but he wasn't actually going to eat the food. Now, we'll come on to why that was at the moment, but here's the point. He was willing to draw a line. He was willing to say, as a believer in God, I will engage, I will get involved, I will be part of the team, I will build it up, I will care, but there are certain things I won't do. Now, for Daniel, it was eating with king's food. We don't quite know why he what his problem was. Was it because it wasn't kosher? Was it because it had been offered to the Babylonian gods? Possibly. The commentators actually aren't sure what it was. Possibly it was just a symbol. If you ate the king's food, then what you were saying was, I'm going to grow big and strong because of what the king gives me. I belong to him. I'm being nurtured by him. Whatever it was, he was drawing a line that said, actually, I'm going to depend on God. Yeah, I'm going to grow up big and strong and all the rest of it, but I'm going to do that because God is giving me not just the opportunity to Babylon, but he's giving me wisdom. He's giving me nourishment and all these other things. There was a line. You see, he expected to live differently. And that was going to take him to lion's dens and fiery furnaces and all sorts of other places later on, but it started with the small things. I'm just going to be different. No, I can't work a Sunday morning because... Church is important to me. That's not always possible. 
No, I can't do that. I won't do that. There's a line. I won't talk like that. I won't be part of that gossipy conversation in the office. Not because I'm judging you or putting you down, but because I belong to God. There's different places, and again, that wisdom needs to be worked out. Daniel's not telling us to be vegetarians or not eat royal food or anything like that. So if you go to that garden party, it's okay. You can have the canopies. It's fine. But it is talking about seeing wherever we are, my first allegiance is not to the party or the company or the culture or the politics or whatever it is. My first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. That's who I am and that's what I'm about. It also meant that we see it in this chapter that what Daniel found was that God was in control. He looked at all the things Babylon was giving him and he said, God is giving me these things. He looked at the food that was nurturing his body and he said, God is giving me that. You see, the book had started with seeming that it was all out of control. God's plan seemed to be blown apart as Babylon was taken. They were all taken into Babylonia and all the plans that that Daniel thought that God had for him were all blown out of the water. But what did Daniel found? He found that even in Babylon, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the place he didn't think he should be for all the reasons that were all wrong, Daniel found that the future was still in God's hands. And in fact, if you go through the book of Daniel, you find the first six chapters are all the fiery furnaces and the narrative stories that we'll look at. And the second six are a lot harder to preach from because they're all the dreams and visions of Daniel. There's some weird stuff. It's like Revelation. But there's a sense, even reading through all of that, what it is reminding and what Daniel found was actually everything was in God's hands. That chaotic place that you are right now, where it feels like someone's punched you in the mouth, God is still in that. We don't understand why or what or what, why are all the bits and pieces of it, but somehow we know that God is still there. Paul wrote in Romans these words, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I think that's one of the most important verses in the Bible. God works for the good of those who love him in all things. It's not saying all things are good. Oh no, they're definitely not. But somehow in all those things, God is working for our ultimate good, that we might be shaped, that we might be his, that we might know his love, that we might be renewed in Jesus Christ because we know We have been called. Who are you? I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. And because of that, yes, I will bless Babylon and the circumstances I find myself in. But I will not belong to it. For I belong to Jesus. He will see me through.